improve relationship and increase result by understanding how they were impacted in every situation versus just me. If that, I hopefully that makes sense to folks. But the one rule that really has catapulted my career is get over yourself. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, listeners. David Wright here, and I'm your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And today I am joined by my good friend, Phil Merrill, CIO of Prompt Care. Phil, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Great to have you on. So before we get into anything, tell me a little bit about your current role, where you are now. All right. So uh, today I'm the CIO, Chief Information Officer for the PromptCare Companies. We're a specialty respiratory and home infusion therapy company. It's a regional provider, actually national now, the way I would categorize us with the growth that we've just experienced. I oversee about about 750 users. We're a fairly sizable organization in that regard. We care for several thousands of patients. So, Excellent. Great. Yeah, I'll look forward to hearing more about that. You know, before we get into past, present, and future, what's one piece of actionable advice you'll look to give our listeners today? I would say making a decision and failing fast is key. Working to make progress, move things forward. But ultimately, if you can fail fast and learn, you'll get to an end state a lot quicker and benefit the organization sooner. Love that. I feel like that's one of the key pieces of, of innovation, for sure. Let's jump right in. I mean, Phil, I want to learn more a bit about your personal backstory. So where did you start out and kind of how did you get to be the, the IT leader that you are today? Coming out of the military, I started out in sales. And then from there, I, I ended up going back to school to get into IT. And in my military career, I had some exposure to an IT background. And it's kind of the foundation. For personal reasons, I got into into healthcare specifically. I had an opportunity coming out of telecom, uh, working for US West at the time uh, to launch over into healthcare at Mayo Clinic, and uh, it was a dual fold. Why I got into the healthcare space: one for personal reasons with my daughter; others was it was an opportunity to really bring 
a capability around the Oracle data platform and its replication capabilities to a larger organization. And that kind of launched me into that career. Early on, I had an opportunity to meet with a senior level executive from IBM. And I was impressed with where this person was at at such a young age. And I asked the basic question of how'd you get there so fast? And his key advice to me was results and relationships. You have to have the relationships to produce the results. You need the results to keep the relationships. So stay focused on both fronts and you'll be successful with where you need to go. So I focused on that. From there, I, I stuck within healthcare and I looked at each opportunity that I was faced with as one to build a toolbox of being a CIO. You know, and so as opportunities arose, if I decided to make a change from one organization to the next, it had to be an opportunity that gave me a chance to build a skill set that prepared me to be a CIO that was not already in my toolbox. And from there, I just, you know, I made strategic decisions on which opportunities I would set in and very quickly found myself being focused on results and relationships in a director, then executive level role. Uh, having gotten into healthcare in 2001, within five or six years, I went from an individual contributor role to actually a senior director role. And then by 2007, uh, I was an IT executive in healthcare. And from there, it grew. I had my first CIO opportunity come in 2016, and I've been there since. Very cool. I love the results and relationships. I mean, I know you're speaking to your experience, but in my experience, it's it's just as crucial. I always say I'm in the business of creating 30-year relationships, right? Because even if I can't you know, help another IT executive today, you guys are always moving around, things are happening. And and it's not about that, right? It's about how can I add value to the relationship? Because I find if I come from that place of just trying to see what, what value I can bring, what insight I could provide, what introduction I could make, building those relationships is key to everything. You never know when you're going to be a resource to someone. The results, I mean, you know, so often I want to get caught up in the story of how hard it was to transform this organization that was a a total mess. It, you know, it, it took two years, three years to, the executive team doesn't want to hear that. They want to see the results, right? And so many people don't understand, you know, how difficult it is to run an IT organization, but, you know, you got to create the results, right? You got to deliver. So, and you got to deliver in a timely fashion, in excellence. I've seen a lot of IT executives struggle with, the results. They get caught up in the minutia of being either being right or doing the technology in a specific way. When in reality, the focus should be on what is the outcome necessary to move the business forward? Not necessarily does it need to... Now, I say that, but also being strategic-minded. There's a concept I bring with the results that I think it's important for everyone to understand. There is a concept that I believe in being strategically tactical and tactically strategic. So when you drive for results, strategically tactical means that I have a strategic vision of how we need to get somewhere. If I need to go left or I need to go right at the tactical level, I understand how that move applies to my larger strategy so that at the end of the day, the result still lines up to where the strategy needed it to go. Being tactically strategic means that I also allow and enable my teams that work with me and those that I surround myself with, the ability that as they're fighting on the tactical fronts, 
to understand the strategy clean and have the power to make those decisions as long as they can understand how that tactical move lines back up to the larger strategic view. So by bringing my strategically tactical approach and their tactically strategic approach, we create an ecosystem where I've surrounded myself with people who are focused on results orientation. But we do it in such a manner that the path is set, the end vision is there, but I'm not so hardened to how the path needs to come to life that allows us to get results faster and more flexible. I love the fact that you're empowering the team. You're encouraging that environment of, you know, because I think, you know, failing fast and, and being able to innovate and integrate feedback from those experiences is crucial. But as an IT leader, I hear a lot of CIOs preach that, but then they're not creating that environment. So I, that strategically tactical and tactically strategic, I think, lends itself to that. And I actually see that in, in some of your team members, a lot of your team members. So that makes sense to me. Very cool. What's one of the most important things you've learned in, in your life, either IT in, within IT and digital or, or personally? And what was life like before learning it and after learning? This is probably going to sound a little off. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I, I can tell you. The lesson that I think took me the longest to really appreciate and understand and incorporate was to get over yourself. You know, and I had a mentor. He gave me six rules to live by. And the number one rule was get over yourself. At first, you know, it took me a while to really recognize and understand what that meant. So life before I learned to get over myself was more about what am I accomplishing? What results am I pulling forward? What relationships do I need to have in place? And in many cases, as I look back at it, it had very much a narcissistic attitude about it, right? Everything was centered on me and what you were either doing to me or with me. It was never about the outcome, even though I was felt I was results-oriented and relationship-focused. As I got wiser and I finally feel like the turning point for me that I learned to get over myself, it really became more about what are we trying to accomplish as a larger unit? Who cares about who's got the ball at the end of the line? How did we get there? What did I do to help others produce those results? What can I do for you today? And it became more about you and less about me. And what I found is, is it allowed me to increase my emotional intelligence. I became more aware of what was going on with others versus what was with you. And at the end of the day, it allowed me to see paths of leverage and opportunities to improve relationship and increase results by understanding how they were impacted in every situation versus just me. If that, I hopefully that makes sense to folks. But the one rule that really has catapulted my career is get over yourself. I love that. It resonates with me as an entrepreneur, right? I mean, I've I admittedly vacillated where, you know, I get on a roll and I, I'm trying to be a success and I'm dedicated to my work and I'm doing this thing and it, it's all about me, right? It becomes all about me. And really, I've, I've had these moments of perspective shift where like, what am I doing? I've mentioned on one of my last episodes that I'm reading this book that kind of speaks to, to workaholism and the, the author calls it the striver's curse where, you know, you're just trying to achieve that next thing. And there's no, for me, no happiness lives there. You know, happiness for me is in 
like you said, kind of giving of yourself freely and helping others to be successful and, and focusing on the things that matter in life and being a teacher and all of that. So no, that definitely makes sense to me. Congruent to that, what's one of your biggest failures, one of your biggest learning moments and and what did you learn from it? So one of my larger failures was, I would say, it is tech related. We had a large project going and I would say it's probably the pivotal project that really made me take a step back and learn the get over yourself moment, right? And we were trying to roll out a platform to unify our contract management across multiple providers, physicians' offices that we had in practices in a large health plan scenario. We had 18 states that we were working across. As I rolled this design and this system out, what I began to realize is that as I went to each plan in each state and I dealt with each stakeholder that was internal to the organization, my focus being on what I needed to get accomplished versus what they needed to have to support them is what ultimately led to the project getting a longer delay, ultimately missing deadlines, going over budget. And by my standards, even though the organization thought it was a success at the end of the day, I felt like it was a failure because we were six months late and about, you know, a substantial, we're, you know, we're close to a couple of million over budget. And with any good set of tracking or everything, I could show why each delay occurred and why each cost increase happened. The most important thing was, as we got across the finish line and I was ready to celebrate, I noticed that my counterparts, the stakeholders, weren't as happy as I was. That impacted me because I was, you know, my thought was, we just finished. Yeah, we're late. We're over budget. Wow, look at what we got done. And one of them just turned to me and said, yeah, but at what cost? And that was when I really started to understand, get over yourself. Even though the relationships are still in place today, I damaged them. I bruised them. And it was because my focus was on what I needed for the project, not what can the project do for them to help them move forward and benefit them more cleanly. And that was a big lesson. And I, and I, honestly, that was, I think, the turning point for me when I really began to step back and think, what does it mean to get over yourself? And so my greatest failure had to be this provider contracting project in IT. No, thank you for that reminder for me. I personally, I need to practice humility, and gratitude daily. You know, I, I try to ground myself in that every morning and I love to get over yourself. So before we get into um, a little bit more about your role as CIO for Prompt Care Now, favorite book or blog, any piece of reading you'd recommend to our listeners? My favorite book is probably going to shock some listeners. And the reason it's my favorite book is as I learned the lesson about getting over yourself, you know, I had a long, hard conversation with my wife around what I had felt and what I had experienced in this project that uh, I considered a failure, even though by the standards of the company, it was a success. Uh, the Five Love Languages. And the reason it's my favorite book is because it talks about how to connect with people. At the end of the day, when you look at the book, The Five Love Languages, and there's a counter book that's Five Love Languages for Kids, the book is really about understanding who you're interacting with and how to harness the connection of the relationship. It talks about the different types of language, love language that people talk to. And at first, you know, when my wife handed it to me, and God bless my wife for being so amazing, 
I just looked at her and said, this is for us, for our children. And she said, actually, it's for everybody because it's how you connect to people. And when you think about results and relationships and getting over yourself, understanding that if someone's love language is words of affection, someone else might be gifts, someone else might be tasks that you perform for them. There's variations of this. So understanding and being able to read an individual and understand how their love language comes about allows you as a coworker, as a colleague, as a friend, as a, as a business partner, as a professional partner, whatever it may be, it allows you to build that relationship stronger, right? And as you build that relationship stronger, you benefit, they benefit, and ultimately the outcomes become greater for you and for them. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it achieves. And this book was, was perfect. It really elevated my ability to create connections with people and build them stronger. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. My wife and I are keen on our different love languages. I'm, I'm a, you know, acts of service and gifting. She's much more on the affection and verbal kind of affirmations. And, you know, we have to be conscious of that, but I, I, I do love how that applies. I mean, I, I agree wholeheartedly, even before you mentioned that, that kind of a level of emotional intelligence and, and that is key to, to business, but I, I never thought about the love languages. So that, that is very astute. There's a lot of folks that, you know, when they look at me in a CIO role, a lot of people just assume that everything is technical, technical, technical. And what I want everyone to understand is my view of the CIO is more business focused, business oriented, and the key to our success is result in relationships. And the five love languages books really focuses on how do you produce those those connections for those relationships to your point, right? How do we grow those relationships? And with those relationships, any result you need to achieve is going to be easier to get done. I don't want to say you can guarantee it being done, but definitely the paths become more robust. And that's, I mean, it's huge. I mean, especially for the modern CIO, I feel like that kind of technical stereotype, if you will, was generated over that time where IT did operate in a silo in a lot of instances, right? For a lot of business types or a lot of companies. Now that's just unacceptable. And I feel like some some leaders are are stuck in that that old path. I mean, honestly, a, a lot of what we do is help kind of bring all those moving parts together, right? You know, translating those strategic directives into executable actions and enrolling all those different stakeholders in what's possible. But to have a CIO like you in the driver's seat who's, you know, keen to that already, it's a big advantage, huge advantage, especially as digital innovation becomes crucial to, you know, the patient experience and, and delivering high quality of care to, to our communities, really. It's the purpose-driven technology. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about that. So you're at Prompt Care, you're in the CIO role. What's your vision for the organization? So I know you were you were at ARJ, right, Infusion, and then you guys merged with Prompt Care. So what's been going on with that? And, and what's your vision for the organization today? I was with AR, I was the CIO for ARJ Infusion Services, and we were merged with Prompt Care Companies. And uh, I was elevated to be the CIO for all of the Prompt Care Companies. 
And I would say the vision that I hold right now is ultimately to help us to achieve a multi-phase transformation. The first step being becoming a data-driven enterprise. Data is kind of the lifeblood of our operation on understanding clinical outcomes, understanding opportunities of care, understanding efficiency, understanding how to scale and compete to provide the best level and the next level of care for those patients that we have, especially in the times of pandemic and resource constraints, both with people and with technology accessibility. Really, how do we get to understand and leverage our data tighter and better so that we can see where the opportunities are for us to make that next level up uh, innovation? The progress that we've made so far is, is we've, it's been great leaps for both sides of the fence. We've started to standardize some of the, the practices around getting into our data accessibility, moving towards a data fabric type model, and, and making sure that data is where it needs to be when it needs to be. Uh, driving a digital capability around data to integrate systems and creating a uh, using a low-code, no-code platform in Appian to allow us to really start to drive automation and digitization of workflows. Very cool. Very cool. We kind of touched on some of the, the key initiatives you're focusing on. What are some of the biggest challenges your team is facing right now? So from a technology perspective... As with anyone, I'm sure it's the resource availability, uh, being able to get get the skill sets lined up to where they're needed, when they're needed. The other thing I would say some of the challenges are is just the disruption that is going on in the marketplace with some of the competition, how, it, you know, through the pandemic, it's driven some consolidation in some areas. You know, our merger being an example of where we needed to, to merge to grow and continue our competitive position. I think some of the other things that we're facing in the tech front is really the amount of noise from what's the next new thing can be distracting. And it comes, it shows up in a couple of ways. You know, you don't want to be left behind, but I would also argue if your razor's edge, you're ripe for a lot of disruption. And so the noise can show up from, you've got business stakeholders that attend the conference and they see the next new greatest this or that, and they bring it back and they wanna do this. In other cases, you've got tech folks that go to a conference and they've got the, hey, I know we're, we're halfway implemented with this capability, but what if we did X, Y, or Z? And now you've got someone wanting to run off and do a, a special project. And keeping everyone focused and lined up against what are the core initiatives coming all the way down from the board level through the C-suite and ultimately driven against business outcome, focused on what's in front of us as well as what's just down the road are some of the bigger challenges that we have with all the noise of all the new technologies and disruptions. So, you know, I like some of the advice you gave earlier, you know, when it comes to to managing a, a group of IT professionals or or just a, an organization in general, what are some of the best practices you and, and your team follow? When it comes to leading the organization, some of the best practices we have, you know, discipline is an adherence to process is, is critical mass, making sure that we have a standard way, standard method of being able to track uh, what we do, how we do it. That's always core to any operation. But the thing I bring to the table is the ability to flex, you know, again, this strategically tactical and tactically strategic concepts, 
I allow my staff and I really push in uh, the discipline of if we flex, let's understand how we need to flex and where we need to cut through process because the outcome is ultimately the direction we need to go. And the last thing I want to have is a practice or a process to cause us to miss an outcome opportunity as a result of that. But having the ability to track that and trace that is really the backbone of what helps us understand, well, this is how we get back to center. The other thing that I look at is we take a look at the concept of crawl, walk, run. So let's take an example of some of the technologies that are now starting to mature in our marketplace around machine learning, robotic process automation, and then ultimately what I think is still in a young phase is artificial intelligence, right? But RPA, machine learning, are, are starting to get their foothold. They're starting to become more mainstream. A lot of organizations are moving to that. Now, having done three or four different instances of deploying robotic process automation and getting machine learning into place, getting these bots up and functional and getting them fed with knowledge, one of the things I know is that you have to take it in a methodical approach. This is not just an innovation you unleash on an organization because it becomes more disruptive than it does a system. So having that discipline and understanding how to go after those technologies in a crawl, walk, run phase and really understanding those tactics has really become kind of the key for us and making sure your staff knows how to do that as well. So from my leadership perspective, I view my role as a teacher, a mentor, a guide, and a coach. 100%. And you see organizations that want to just dive right into a lot of those, you know, cutting edge technologies and we're often the challenger in, in promoting that, that crawl, walk, one approach. I mean, so often there's a myriad of boxes need to be checked before you get to crawl that you need to make sure are all that the basis is there. But that's exciting. I mean, it's, it's exciting that you guys are stepping into some of those kind of more innovative technologies. That said, where do you see the industry going in the future? You know, what do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes? In the next, I would say, two to three years, I really see, you know, some of the challenges with the labor market starting to drive more of a push for automation, which will give the boost in the specialty respiratory and specialty infusion. You're going to start to see a need for more automation, more robots, uh, more bots, you know, the robotic process automation kicking in in many cases. You're going to see for more digital push and then with the remote workforce, you're going to see a larger maturation of being able to support people being in various areas. So where an organization used to struggle with finding people, we might also see another wave come through where we've got an expansion in certain areas because we can now be more flexible with being in remote locations, whereas before it was everyone needed to be in a certain location in Chicago or Kansas City or you know wherever it may be. Whereas now, maybe not so much. And so I think the areas of change I see are more automation, more digitization of workflows, and greater flexibility in workforce alignment as to location and resourcing. Yeah, we're seeing that too, especially as, you know, this greater organizational decentralization just kind of happened. Now organizations securing those endpoints, you know, locking everything down, rolling out the proper collaboration solutions, you know, it does really open things up nationally and, and really globally, depending on the talent that's, that's required. You know, for example, we have people around the 
the U.S. and globally, you know, working for, for DI. So as we come to a close, we like to ask if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Relax. It's not a, a sprint. It's a marathon. Take it. Take some time to really understand and appreciate the progress you do make and enjoy the moment. Just relax. I felt myself take a deep breath, even as you mentioned it. And it's true, right? Because each moment is a gift. It's not guaranteed. So, Phil, thank you so much for this. We, we really appreciate you being on today. Thank you for the opportunity. Our pleasure, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.